If you'll keep your uh, hymnal in your hand and turn back to page 875, we're going to use the shorter catechism again tonight. Our kids on Sunday nights learn the kids' catechism, and we are in here kind of going through the questions and answers of the shorter. Tonight we're going to look at the uh, questions on the Ninth Commandment. We're going through the Ten Commandments right now through the catechism, starting with question 76. Which is the Ninth Commandment? The Ninth Commandment is, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. What is required in the Ninth Commandment? The Ninth Commandment requireth the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man, and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness-bearing. What is forbidden in the Ninth Commandment? The Ninth Commandment forbiddeth whatsoever is prejudicial to truth or injurious to our own or our neighbor's good name. Again, as we think about the commandments, it's easy to see how far we fall short, isn't it? Uh, So let's pray to God to help us uh, keep his word by his grace. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we praise you that uh, you have given us in Christ an inheritance that is so much greater than we could ever imagine. Lord, we thank you, God, that you've called us your children in him and that you share everything good with us. You always tell us the truth, and and you write that truth on our hearts. So, Lord, we are are that much more broken and sad when we look at our own um, lack of comfort in the truth, in dealing with the truth, and in dealing truthfully with one another. God, we're sorry. God, we ask that you would fill us with your kind of love for what is true and noble and good. Or cause the meditation of our hearts and, and the words of our mouth to be pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that we as a church would be a church that takes other people seriously, both each other and, and those that we get an opportunity to share with and befriend and love outside of the walls of this congregation. Lord, I pray that we would be very faithful to speak the truth in love. Lord Jesus, only you can bring together grace and truth in a way that does not compromise either, a way that doesn't turn the volume down on either to get the right balance, but you turn the volume all the way up, and yet they perfectly harmonize grace and truth in you. And so, Jesus, make us more like you. Lord, we love you tonight. We're so grateful for your word. And, God, we ask that you would help us as we read it here in your presence and as we study it in our studies and classes tonight. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. If you have a Bible, I would ask you to turn to Galatians 6. I'm going to read uh, from Scripture there, and then um, we will dismiss kids, and we'll do our Galatians Bible study right here in the sanctuary for everybody who is a part of that. Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to start with verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. 
Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to the flesh, to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use to write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you or force you to be circumcised. The only reason they do that is so that they may boast about your circumcision. I think I skipped a line, didn't I? Yeah. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. There you go. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never uh, boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Isn't that good? We'll finish that that up uh, here in a moment. Uh, Kids are dismissed, all kids of all ages, to their class. On my right, your left. The students can go to the back door. And it is raining out there, so y'all be careful going to your classroom. And we'll get our uh, Bible study started in just one second. All right, so if you have uh, that Galatians 6 handy, I'd be good if you had it open. Uh, We're going to refer to it throughout. Um, Also, if you're new to the Sunday night, if you haven't been here in a while, uh, what we do is we try to do this more interactive than a typical sermon. So I will be giving you information, but there's also the opportunity for you to call out questions, raise your hand. I'm also going to ask you some questions, and you're allowed to speak back, of course, uh, as we work our way through. This is the last in this series. We've, We've taken Galatians one chapter at a time. And the main thing that we've seen so far is that Paul has a three-step summary of the gospel that he wants people to understand. Because the Galatian Christians were being tempted to adopt an alternative three-step gospel. Y'all remember that from last week? That the one that was bad, the one that Paul was speaking against, was this. Believe in Jesus, step one. Step two, obey God. Step three, and then you will be saved. What was wrong with that? Uh, we saw it wasn't any of the elements of it that were wrong. All three elements are, per- are good, but the, the wrong thing is the order that they're in. You cannot place salvation on our own obedience or else no one would be saved. That's what Paul says. His three-step gospel presentation is this. Believe in Jesus, and then you will be saved, and then you will obey God. 
Oops, you will obey God. <laughs> in fact, you will want to obey God if you believe in Jesus and are saved through him. There's something that actually happens by grace in your heart. It, it, it will actually change your desires. And that's what Paul uh, means here in chapter 6 when he says in verse 2, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You will fulfill the law of Christ. Now this is Paul who's been telling us the whole letter, you can't be saved by keeping the law or fulfilling the law. But now he's saying, I want you to fulfill the law. But he describes it this way, I want you to fulfill it as if it came through Christ. Which is a whole different thing. Uh, you could imagine, for example, two ways of receiving the law. Uh, one way of receiving the law is to receive it as a, um, a way to earn your salvation. It's to receive it, like Paul says, at Mount Sinai. He talked about how when God first gave the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, the earth shook, you know, lightning and thunder, and it was so scary because everybody understood they were not holy enough for God. You can receive the law that way, but if you receive it that way, you're going to die because you're never going to be able to live up. If even an animal came and touched uh, Mount Sinai, it said that that animal needed to die. That's how scary that way of receiving the law is. But if you receive the law from the hands of your Savior, Jesus, the nail-scarred hands, and you know he died for you already to pay for your sins and to give you a gift of righteousness, his righteousness, then receiving the law is a freedom. It's a joy. It's a joy to see, actually, that I fall short. Why? Why is it a joy to see that I fall short? Because that's just another reason for me to praise Jesus. I've learned another reason why Jesus had to save me. I've learned another way why Jesus' obedience is better than mine and why my dependence is on his obedience and not mine. It's also a joy to know God has my best interest at heart. He's telling me these commandments because he wants me to walk in a way that's healthy, not in a way that's poisonous or unhealthy. See? Two different ways of receiving the law. And so tonight I want to talk to you about this um, gospel relationships. How the law of Christ is fulfilled through healthy relationships that are kept up on the basis of the grace that we've received in Jesus. And I'm going to do it just kind of old school style here. If you look at your um, bulletin, I, I, I've got six principles for gospel relationships that I find Paul teaching in Galatians 6. And I just want to walk you through them and we can discuss as we go and then discuss a little bit at the end as well. Six principles for gospel relationships. And I'm going to take them in order as Paul gives them. The first one is this. God works in our lives as we learn to live and worship together. Together. Uh, look at verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Notice how living as a Christian can never be something that you do alone. Uh, you won't make any spiritual progress, and I, I won't make any spiritual progress, if I cut myself off from fellow Christians. Why is that? Because a huge part, it's almost like saying, okay, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to get an education, but I'm not going to take this list of classes even though they're required. I'm not going to take those because I don't like those. 
at the end of your time, are they going to hand you the degree? No, why? Because you're just self-choosing out of half the curriculum, which is required to get the education that you're claiming to get. And Paul is saying here a huge part of a Christian's education, a huge part of their formation, doesn't come in classroom. It doesn't come just by hearing uh, truths. Uh, a good part of our education comes by just having to get together and get along and learn how to love each other and learn how to bear with one another when we're sinning and when we're in trouble. Isn't that what it's saying? If you carry one another's burdens, that's how you're going to fulfill the law of Christ. In fact, he, he had said at the end of chapter 5, the whole law of God is summed up in this one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you cut yourself off from your neighbors, or if I do, how can you begin to step out in obedience to that basic commandment? The church, in a way, you think about the church this way, it's a family, it's all these kinds of things, but the church is also kind of a school. It's a place where God puts us through our paces and gives us our curriculum. And I want you to understand that a lot of the curriculum that God is giving us is not something that I'm creating. It's something that's just there because we're a bunch of sinners getting together trying to do something together, which is live and worship together. And you're going to learn a lot of lessons through that process if you'll be taught it. If you'll listen, if you'll be patient in it. But if you're not patient, that is, if you aren't willing to bear anybody else's burden ever, then you won't learn it. And you'll be that much the poorer in your spiritual life for it. Uh, don't you see? That's what it's saying. Uh, any, any thoughts about that particular aspect of it, the, the first principle there? It's okay if not, but... Just want to check if there's a thought. Well, I think also, like, the whole purpose for the community is if you're by yourself, you won't necessarily see your own sin. Yes, you yes. others to speak into you. It's mm -hmm. a very good point. I don't know if everybody heard that, but it's a great point that not only is it that you need to carry others' burdens, but you need other people to carry yours. Uh, there are times where you can't see what needs to change or be fixed in your life. That You won't see it unless you let somebody else in to be able to help you with that. Same with me. Um, there are too many blind spots. Don't you know you have so many blind spots? You say, well, I don't know that I do. Of course, they're blind spots. <laughs> You would not know that you have blind spots or that you don't. I don't know that what mine are because they're blind spots, which is why I need you and you, you need me and we need each other, right? And Paul's painting this beautiful picture of a family where when one person sins, it doesn't go unnoticed. It's not that everybody notices it and says, ooh, that person sinned. Wow, tell me the juicy details. It's not that, but it is that person sinned gently because God has been doing a work in my life. I want to come alongside and help them. I want to help take some of the burden off that's crushing them at this moment. Because Lord knows there are times it's crushing me and I need somebody else to help me. I think it's a beautiful picture uh, of, of the kind of life that the gospel produces. Uh, only the gospel can produce this life. That is only believing that you're saved by God's grace in Jesus through the cross and the resurrection can make you a person that carries somebody else's burdens or that wants your burdens carried. I think maybe even the second one is the more difficult one. Because when you're carrying someone else's burdens, at least in my experience, you at least feel sort of like a hero. 
You feel validated, you know, hey, I'm doing something. I'm one of the good guys. When I'm in the position that I need someone else, that's where it really strikes my ego. And the only person that's able to let their ego be stricken that way is the person who's already been stricken at the cross. Like we saw this morning in Isaiah, you've got to be broken in spirit to enter into the kingdom of heaven. All right, principle one. The second principle is this. Gentleness and humility are of the highest importance as we do that, as we live together. Those two things. I love that he highlights those two things. Uh, He says, if you restore someone, you should do it gently. Verse 1. Also, verse 1, you should watch yourselves as you do, or you also may be tempted. Recognizing that, you know, whatever that person has done, no matter how bad you think it is, you're capable of doing it. You got to know that. I mean, if you don't know that, then you're not going to be a very steady hand to help them. It's probably going to be more of a self-righteous helping. Uh, And then he goes on to say, uh, which is a beautiful sentence in verse 3, if anyone thinks they are something when they're nothing, they deceive themselves. In other words, to do this kind of person-to-person ministry that we're all called to do in the church, we really do have to be very self-aware, very self-aware. We have to understand our own weaknesses and be willing to own up to that. Gentleness and humility. Um, I don't know, I would just ask this, you know, like if, if you were thinking that our basic calling was to shoulder the burdens of other people, would those be the two things you would think you needed the most? You understand what I'm saying? Like if, if <laughs> I'll say it again in a different way. If I said to you, hey, your main job is to shoulder the burdens of other people, what do you need to do that? Would, you, would the first things that come out of your mouth be humility and gentleness? Yeah, I would think authority. You've got to give me some power. You've got to give me some strength and just ooh, leadership position. And, you know, I'm going to go in there and bust on some people. And, you know, I think that's what I would think of first. You know, you've got to give me a license to kill <laughs> if I'm going to have that kind of mission. But, but Paul says, no, you can't think about it that way. The, the top two things that it takes is gentleness and humility, which, you know, absolutely makes sense when you think about what Jesus said. Come unto me, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. And then what qualifies Jesus to give them rest? Uh, he could have said, come to me because I'm the king of the universe. And that would have been true. Come to me because one day I will judge all people, living and dead. That would be true. But instead he says, come to me because I am gentle and lowly in heart. I'm gentle and humble. And therefore, I've got the qualification to help carry a burden, to help help somebody. I think we spend a lot of time, you know, when we think about our lives, we spend a lot of time thinking about what does God want us to do. We spend less time thinking about who does God want us to be, which is actually more important. And when we think about what God wants us to be, we probably don't think about these two things. But as uh, St. Augustine famously said, there are three things needed in the Christian life. Humility, humility, and humility. And that's true. I think that's the number one thing we ought to pray for. Someone says, well, you should never pray for humility because you don't know what God will do to humble you. Well, he's going to do it anyway, y'all. If you're a Christian, he's already going to do it. He's going to humble you. So you might as well get on his side and start asking for it, and then you won't be surprised when he does it. 
Because he's, aim, he's aiming to do it. He's, he's determined to do it. He will humble his people. Because it's only in our humility that we learn the lessons God wants us to learn. Again, only a gospel-driven person in a gospel-driven church could, could truly get this. In, on any other basis, okay, if Christianity is just about being a good person in a world of bad people, then our job is not to be gentle and humble, but to be smug and self-assured and all those things, right? It's only a gospel view which says, no, a Christian is someone who's a sinner, who's been radically accepted by God only because of what Jesus did, only because God chose to be gracious to, to me. For no reason in me, but just his own good choice. That's the only way you'll say, you know, I think I need, to, I think I need more gentleness, more humility. God, make me gentle. Make me humble. If the Lord of the universe humbled himself and was lowly in heart, oh, Lord, I, that ain't too good for me. Ain't too, ain't too hard for me. I need to have those two things. Principle three. God also works in our lives through our own individual stories and circumstances. So if the first principle was, hey, you can't do this alone. God only works when we're working together. It's also true that God works particularly in each of our lives through our own unique circumstances. And that's what he says um, there in verse 4. Uh, it sounds like a contradiction to what he just said when he says, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, which sounds like a contradiction to humility, without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load, which sounds like a contradiction to carry one another's burdens. Did you notice that? But it's not, I mean, we've got to give Paul credit, though. He wasn't an idiot. He wasn't, like, purposely in the next sentence contradicting the sentence he just wrote. Of course not. He's smarter than that. Instead, what he's doing is he's trying to show you there's two sides to God's work in our lives. There's a corporate and there's an individual. Corporately, the way we learn is by getting together and learning to live together and worship together as a family of believers. Individually, it's we got to look in the mirror and see what it, where our deficiencies are and look hard at ourselves and, and ask, what is it that God needs to do in me and what, what is he doing in my particular life? Is it a trouble at work? Is it a crisis at home? Is it uh, financial pressure? Uh, what is he using in my life right now to, maybe it's a blessing, maybe it's a promotion at work, what, it could be a good or a bad thing. What is he using in my life right now to uniquely shape me into what he wants me to be? Again, only someone who believes in the gospel of Jesus can fully wrap their heads around this principle. Uh, on any other basis, our lives are really just sort of the random effect of our own choices. Right? You say, well, how is that wrong? Isn't our life the effect of our choices? Yes, somewhat. But you also have to remember, God's got choices too. And God's choices always matter more than your choices and always matter more than mine. And even when we're making choices, God is overruling our lives. So that, as it says, uh, each person needs to learn how to test their own actions. Each person, you shouldn't compare yourselves with other people. Each one has to carry their own load. Whatever it is that God has decided to give me as my unique load, which is different than John's load or Vivian's load or Kelly's load, whatever he's given me as my load is my load that he's given me that is a part of his unique sanctifying process, which is this word that means helping me become more like Jesus. 
process. Isn't that right? So there's, there's not just a corporate way, but there's a private way. The gospel helps me with the first one, and it helps me with the second one. Uh, only someone who believes in grace can look at the mirror and not try to hide what they see. If you don't believe in grace, you're going to look at the mirror and say, man, I don't want to look there again. I definitely don't want anybody else to look there. Let me turn the mirror on its face and not ever look at it again. And when some people come around, I, I want them to not ever see that, you know. Have you ever had one of those pictures of yourself that you did not want anyone to see? Last night. Yeah, last night <laughs> you had one? Yeah. Yeah. A picture of yourself that you wanted to hide, you know. And a lot of times those pictures end up going in the trash when we can put them there. And you know, the same thing is true in our spiritual lives. There are so many things that God is doing in our lives that we want to throw in the trash way too soon. The story's not done yet. God's still at work. Knowing that I'm saved not by my works but by His grace helps me to be honest and say, you know what, God's working on me. And here's one of the areas He's working on me. It's ugly right now. I'm going to be honest. It's not going well. But God is working. And I trust him. He's given me this as the load to carry at this point in my life. And there's a good reason for it. He's going to do something in my life beautiful out of this difficulty. That's a different way to think. It's an important principle. I think these principles all kind of run together. Because the person that's always hiding you know, the pictures and reflections of themselves is also a person that's not very good at bearing someone else's burdens. Uh, think, for example, have you ever had that time in your parenting where you, you wanted to get on to one of your kids for something that they were doing, but then while you were saying it, you realized, wait a minute, but I do that too? And it made you not get on to them because you felt ashamed like you were a hypocrite? Every parent has had that at some point. You know, like, don't yell in the house while you're yelling. <laughs> you know, and of course, your mom or dad, so I guess you have a right to yell where they don't. But at the same time, you know, it feels a little bit jarring, right, when you do that, when you yell, stop yelling, you know. <laughs> well, I think it's that way in a lot of cases where, this is why it said in verse 1, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore them. If, the, if a person is, is living not by the Spirit, which doesn't mean not perfect, it means not in line with the gospel, they're going to be too ashamed of their own problems to want to come and help somebody else with theirs. The gospel frees you from that. It says, you know what, i got problems, but look, you need help and I want to help you, and, and I'm a fellow struggler right with you, Let's help. Let, let, let me help you. It's a very different way of thinking about relating to other people. All of this, by the way, is exactly what the Bible means by love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's fulfilling the law of Christ. Principle four. Gentleness and humility come from looking at ourselves honestly in the life God has given us. So if you need gentleness and humility to help other people and to live together and worship together, how does that come? By looking at yourself and accepting where God has you right now and knowing that he has a plan for it. Uh, somebody, if you're willing, share something, some way currently that God is humbling you. Can somebody share? You too probably. <laughs> Maybe that's one area. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Clark? 
Yeah. And you, th- you, thought, you thought when you were 60 you would have them all. Yeah. 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 Right. And now you're, you didn't realize maybe you would have to parent as a, you know, a, a parent of adult children maybe either, right? I mean, that, I think that's a lot of people. They realize parenting doesn't end at 18, you know? And, and so you, you definitely, that's a humbling thing, isn't it? Now, the only way you can be humbled by that, Clark, is what? What do you have to do to truly be humbled and made, be made more gentle by that experience? Got to accept it. Yep. If you keep going, say it again. Look in the mirror. Like if you keep just going and saying, you know, I do know everything. I'm 60 years old, dadgummit. I know it all. You got to listen to me. Then you're never going to learn the lesson. The only way to learn it is what you just said, what you just demonstrated. I've looked in the mirror and I realized, man, I'm 60 and I, I don't know everything. In fact, some of the most important things I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to help my own kids or, you know, whatever it might be. There's a hundred of those things going on in your life at every time, if you listen. If you listen. Um, but a lot of times we don't think that way, do we? We, 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 don't, we don't analyze these things as if they're from God. We just think they're, yeah, there's just some random things happening. There's a, there's a family problem. There's a work problem. There's a you know, marriage problem. And we just kind of separate all these things out. I think I said this last week here, maybe it was in the morning last week, everything is a God problem. Everything is about God. Literally everything in your life and in this world is about God. Everything. And in those, that's one way to pull everything together in your mind and realize God is teaching me something here and here and here and here. And God is not an author of confusion. He's, He's a God of order. And so guess what? He's teaching you the same basic things in all those areas. And I find he has to teach me in all those ways because I'm so slow to listen. And so he's got to get me through my family, through my marriage, through my work, through my finance. He's got to get me from so many angles because I am so stubborn. Do you see how powerful it is when when a life that's rooted down into the scriptures and prayer is, is matched with a life that's really good at these types of things, relational, savvy, you know, like learning how to listen to God and, and get your eyes open to what God is doing in relationships, how those two things together can be a dynamite in helping you grow spiritually. You see that? You can't really have one without the other. Like you can't just go the relational route but never study and read and grasp and meditate on the Bible or listen to the Bible. You can't do that. But you also, if you're just reading the Bible but never opening your eyes to its relevance to any number of hundreds of situations in your life, then, man, it's going to be, it's not going to hit home and, and, and begin to really shape you at a deep level. Again, believing in the gospel, believing in Jesus, believing in grace is the way to integrate those things together. Because I realized my salvation was the plan of God before it was ever my idea or my plan. Jesus coming into the world to die on the cross was the plan of God before it was ever my idea or plan or anyone's idea or plan. Therefore, all things are a part of God's idea or plan. I better be paying attention and listening. Um, And the lessons God wants us to learn are usually somewhere related to gentleness and humility. Gentleness and humility. 
Uh, it's also true that not just in bad things, but good things. Uh, sometimes really good things happening in my life help teach me gentleness and humility. Uh, come with somebody give me an area of your life right now where you're really encouraged. And maybe you're feeling bold and strong right now. <laughs> if there's not, hey, that's all right. Yeah. I, I just had it in my head that when I transitioned to the position I'm in now, I would have all this time to focus <laughs> on the word and nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and would be smooth. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And, and what have you found? It's not like I've found <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And so a blessing has happened, which I would I, I would thank you would still okay. describe the change of position as a blessing. That is also humbling you and and teaching you a lesson of gentleness and, okay, I still need the Lord. A change of job doesn't fix my problem. It just puts me in a different position perhaps to receive God's answer, but it doesn't give me the answer to that problem, right? Um, it's, yeah, you, that reminds me, John, of have you ever, maybe y'all don't, have never seen The Fiddler on the Roof, but where uh, the, the main character, you know, he's in that famous song, If I Were a Rich Man. And one of the things he says is, God, oh, if you would just make me rich, then I would have all day long to sit and study your word like the rabbis and meditate, you know. <laughs> uh, and it's just a funny moment because it, it does remind me, too, that's the way I often think, right? If I had, if I had all these other things, then I would, then I would do it. Uh, in reality, time and again, I get humbled, just like John is describing. I, I get humbled by my own lack of attention. No matter how good the circumstances are, I'm still, I still lack attention for God. And I still need his spirit to come and work on me. So that's a good one. Gentleness and humility come from looking at ourselves honestly in the life God has given us. Uh, I would encourage you, don't see any part of your life as an accident or as disconnected from God. It's all about him. And he's got a plan that he's trying to work out in your life through it. Good and bad and ugly. Principle five. Doing good for others, like, for example, bearing other people's burdens, is the way in which we express our faith and love for God. I love this one because there, there are many different ways to express your love for God. And in some way, uh, worship and the activities of worship are the primary way. For example, when um, remember before Jesus died, uh, Mary came in to the dinner where they were, they were having with Lazarus and the family, and Mary broke a very expensive bottle of perfume and poured it all over Jesus. Do you remember who complained about that? Judas, and the bad one, that is, right? The bad Judas. And why did he say that was a waste? This money could have been given to the poor, Right? Which sounds like such a noble thing to say. And what did Jesus say? You'll always have the poor, but you won't always have me. Mary is doing a greater thing with what she's doing. She's wasting her money just on me, just on the Lord. And so there is something to be said about the fact that worship and the activities of worship and really devotion towards God are the number one way to express your love for God. It's, it's a sense of greater work. But I find it very awesome that God right away turns around and says, you know what, I really, though, I want to be loved 
by your love tangibly for other people. Actually, I'm going to judge all that, that you do in worship by whether you also turn around the next day and go love other people. And, and if you come in with all this busting perfume everywhere and you know, expensive, costly acts of deep devotion and worship, but then the next day you hate your neighbor and mistreat them, I'm not going not gonna to accept the wealth and the riches that you poured out over here, right? I, mean, I think that's so marvelous about God. What does it say about God that he loves to accept love by way of us loving others? He's a good father. Yeah. And being a father kind of helps me understand that because in some ways I feel most loved as a dad when my kids treat each other well and when they treat their mother well. You know what I mean? It's, it's not so much when they're telling me, I love you, Dad, although that's certainly very special. When I see them kind of picking up on the lessons and following the example and loving each other, that's when I'm like, all right, yeah, I feel, I feel really good as a dad. Uh, and in a way, that's just a small picture of God's heart. It causes God's heart to overwhelm with delight when he sees his people loving other people for his sake, right? Not, not just... Not just charity, just for the sake of my own self-aggrandizement. We know there's a ton of that out in the world, right? Helping people so that I feel better. It's not that that God is really after. Because in a way, that's just sort of loving yourself, in a way. What, what God is after is that you would just love someone simply because you value him. And you value that person because you value him. They're a child of, they're a child of God. They're made in the image of God. And so let's look at what Paul says. Very practical. Uh, he ends his letter on the gospel with practical instruction. He says, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share with those who, are, who instruct them. Right? So you've got in the church people who instruct, and then you've got people who help and, and support and help those who instruct. That's a beautiful relationship of love both ways. Uh, to teach is, is an act of love. To share good things with your instructor is also an act of love. He goes on to say, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you sow to the flesh to please the flesh, you'll reap destruction. But if you sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For we know that in the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. This is what I was referring to this morning in the sermon, where in the new creation, when it says in Isaiah, their labor will not be in vain there, that actually we can take that promise and bring it into the present life and know that right now the good that we do is also not in vain. Because the harvest might not come now on any particular act of kindness or love, but we can be assured the harvest will one day come. In fact, most of the time, the harvest doesn't come now, but it comes later. But, but after all, we're people of faith, which means we believe in what we don't see. We hope in what's not here yet. And so we know that the harvest is just as sure to happen. And so he says, verse 10, as you have opportunity, do good to all people. Is that do good to the people that you like? The people who look like you and support you and are nice back to you? What does it say? All people. 
as often as you have opportunity. Now, you're not going to have opportunity to help all people, literally every single person. But it says, as you have the opportunity, if it's an all-people person, (laughs) you should help them if you can. Especially those who belong to the family of believers. So there really is a way in which the church should first and foremost care for its own people, its own members. Um, That's the first way that we express this kind of love. But then it shouldn't stop there. It's like the overflow of love should be so great within the church that it spills over into the community outside the church. And it gives us uh, a lot of zeal and, and enthusiasm to help people every time we have opportunity to do so. Because every time we have that opportunity, again, nothing's random. God never gets the address wrong. He never gets the timing wrong. When that person comes into your life needing help, guess what? God sent them there. And God sent you there. And what an opportunity to show how grateful you are for God's mercy in your life. Isn't that, isn't that good? Again, you've got to read the Bible. You've got you to believe the Word, but you've also got to interface it with your everyday experience to have real growth. Because then, because then you'll see, okay, God is not just, I mean, this is his word, but he's not just like contained or boxed up in here, right? Uh, he is a God that's over all things. This, this book accurately and fully and without fail describes him, and it, it's from him. But you're to take this book and to bring it into real situations where you're actually supposed to walk out your belief in the gospel, one step in front of the other. All right, that's number five. Number six. And this in some ways is one of the most important ones because it's the central principle of the entire letter that Paul writes to the Galatians. Nothing but the cross of Christ should ever become our reason for boasting in all of this. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. We're supposed to be willing to have them help us bear ours. We're supposed to look ourselves in the mirror. We're supposed to learn humility and gentleness in all things. We're supposed to do good to everybody to express our love for God. But in none of those things are we to ever boast. Why? Because the first gospel scenario that I gave you is not true. If it were true that you believe and then you obey and then you're saved, what can you boast in? Any number of things that you do to obey, because those things contribute to you being a, a saved and accepted person. So you could say, hey, I helped an old lady across the street. Wow, what a good person. I'm such a great person. Look at me. I'm good. I'm on God's team. Look at me. That's boasting. Boasting is any time you, um, you, know, you put your confidence and your sense of identity and worth and value in that thing. That's what boasting is. Because that's not true, because the gospel really is believe in Jesus then, only because of Jesus you're saved, therefore you obey. Guess what? What's the only thing you can boast in? Only Jesus. Uh, Every act of obedience is really just a fruit of his work in my life and for the lives of of all of us as Christians. Look at what Paul says. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. It's like at the end, usually Paul, it seems like he used a secretary. You know, he would dictate his letters and somebody else would write them. We know that because in several letters, that, dic- that dictator, or whatever you call that person, secretary, 
uh, actually names themselves. And they say, hey, I'm the one who's writing this for Paul. Here, it's like Paul snatches the pen or whatever it was, you know, the, whatever they used at the time. He snatches it from the hand of his um, secretary, and he just writes in his own hand with huge letters across the page, see with what large letters I am writing to you. This is Paul himself. And the Galatians may have even recognized his handwriting because he was there teaching them, and he would write on the board, right? And they knew what he wrote like. He's bringing his main point home here. He says, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh, in other words, by their own works, are the ones trying to force you to be circumcised. Don't listen to them. The only reason they're doing this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross. They don't want to put all their eggs in the basket of the cross. They want to put their eggs in their own basket and a little bit in the cross. Both of them. They can't have it both ways. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Don't let them fool you. They're trying to tell you to keep the law to be saved, but they don't even do it enough to be saved. They're just wanting to boast in their own works and in the fact that they got a bunch of Gentiles to get circumcised. As if that was, I mean, and that is quite a feat, actually, if you think about it. (laughs) Quite a feat. And, And they would have wanted to boast about that. Look at how great a teacher I am. I convinced this whole group of pagan Gentiles to get circumcised. Look at me. Paul says, that, that's a whole bunch of hooey. Verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, it doesn't matter one bit. I mean, who cares whether someone is circumcised or not? The thing that matters is what? The new creation. The new creation. That God makes people new men and women. That he changes sinners into saints by grace. That he will change this world, dead and decaying as it is, into a world of glory and joy like we saw this morning in Isaiah. He's going to do that. That's what matters. God's work, not human work. And so he says, peace and mercy to everybody who walks this way. The people who walk according to this gospel are the real Israel, he says. Those guys that are trying to boast in themselves, they say that they're Israelites, but they're they're not in heart. Because they're living as if you're saved by human work and not by God's grace. Isn't that amazing how he ends? Boast in nothing but the cross of Christ. I don't boast in anything, Paul says, but that. You should not boast in anything because of that. I don't know about you, but I find that very hard. And one of the reasons I find that hard is... Um, everybody in our society is expecting you to boast in some, anything but the cross of Christ, right? Uh, the first thing people ask you, ask you is not, you know, about your faith. I mean, what do they ask you? What is your job? Um, and then they start asking other questions about that, like how long have you been there? Uh, what's your position there? They're trying to basically get you to boast. Usually it's so that they can also turn around and tell you about theirs, <laughs> Uh, it's amazing. Every single time, you know, I tell someone I'm a pastor. Okay, where's your church? Tell them. How many people do you have? What kind of, do you have a building? And then for the longest time, of course, we didn't have one. And so it was just, well, we kind of just meet at the high school. And they're like, the high school? Is it a real church? You know? And, and it just, every time I had to die to my, you know, I, I can't boast. Lord, again, I can't boast in anything but the cross. Yeah, we meet at the high school, but you know, the cross is there. 
And we talk about Jesus and his work for people like me, and, and I wouldn't be nowhere without his work. And You know, it, it's everything we've got to, to not boast in other things. And there's nobody coming through Mulberry called the Circumcision Party trying to convince us to go that way. That's not going to happen. It's probably not going to happen tomorrow either. I mean, who knows, though, in COVID world? Anything could happen now. Maybe that's the next great thing. But I don't think it will be. But I guarantee you, as soon as we end this, or at least as soon as you go to work tomorrow, somebody's going to be pressuring you to boast in something. Here's the lesson. Don't take the bait. Love grace enough, understand grace enough to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I'm not going to believe my own press clippings. I don't care what good they have to say about me. They don't know half of, of me. And whatever bad they say about me, it's probably true. But they don't even know half of that. Right? Only Christ knows. And yet he still loves me. And he still promised me life everlasting in the new creation. That's what matters. Not circumcision or own, but the new creation that Jesus brings. Do you see how this, you know, if we really kind of took Galatians and worked it into the soul of our church, do you see how it could help us, change us in our life together? I mean, this whole, this whole time, these past six weeks, we've looked at all kinds of topics, but the main thread running through it is Christ alone, Christ alone, Christ alone, Christ alone. Don't get haughty. Don't get proud. Don't try to do it yourself. Listen, go back to Jesus. Go back to Jesus. Because as soon as we don't, I mean, it's like, I mean, this is often used and it's kind of a cliche, but I think it's true. The story where Jesus goes, I mean, Jesus is walking on the water and he gets Peter to walk on the water. And everybody makes this big thing. And I don't know if it's just a preacher thing that maybe is not quite there in the text, but it just preaches well. When we say it was when Peter took his eyes off Jesus that he sank, you know, maybe or maybe not. That was what the gospel writer meant to give, but it's still true. That when we take our eyes off Jesus, we will, in fact, sink big time, like a lead weight, um, just like Peter did. Uh, don't think about your own goodness. Oh, wow, I'm walking on water. Wow, look at me. Keep your eyes on him because he's the only one that can help us love our neighbors. And, and y'all, that's harder than walking on water. I want to tell you, loving your neighbor as yourself is way harder than walking on water. Uh, you can build big old shoes to help you walk on water called skis. That's not, that's not that hard. Loving your neighbor as yourself, that is hard. And that takes a miracle of grace.